You're listening to A Journey with Chris and American English. Exporting Culture, the rise of a U.S. hegemony. Just to let you know, I have moved my tips to a new podcast. It is in the description of the previous episode. So if you're interested in my language learning tips, then please check out that podcast. This podcast will be on a weekly basis, so we will get back to our regular schedule. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for coming back. This is the second season, and this is the first episode of the second season. Throughout this season, I want to touch on U.S. culture, U.S. history, U.S. pop culture, U.S. movies, etc. And I want to also explore how reflective these things are of actual U.S. culture and daily life. In today's episode, we will talk about the rise of the U.S. as a hegemony and what that actually entails. With that being said, let's begin. You'll be forgiven for not knowing what the word hegemony means. It's not a word that is actually used in daily life, and it's probably not a word familiar to most people. So before we actually start talking about our actual topic, let us define the term in full. The simplest definition is one by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary that says, a hegemony is, and I quote, the social, cultural, ideological, or economic influence exerted by a dominant group. End quote. I think that is the easiest way we could define hegemony. So I wish to tread lightly here because I do not want to come off as being nationalistic or as being too prideful or as being too boastful, seeing as how I am from the U.S. and I am American by birth and by culture. The reason for me choosing the word hegemony basically stems from the fact that I believe, as do a lot of people, including political scientists, that the U.S. is in fact a dominant force in the world, it is a dominant group, it is, for all intents and purposes, a hegemony because it has so much influence. And this can be felt in its books, its movies, its music, its uh, video games, its actors, I mean, you name it. U.S. culture is so widespread that it is impossible to escape. And I do not think that this is always necessarily a positive thing. And I, I will touch on that later in this episode, why that bothers me that the U.S. is so dominant. Um, but yeah, that is the reason why I chose to describe what the U.S. is as a hegemony. So please do not think that I, do, I, that I mean this in some sort of prideful sense or that I want to express some sort of superiority. It's simply stating, well, the obvious, more or less. How did we get here? For those of you who do not know, the U.S. was originally part of England. Back then, it was British America, or rather, British colonies, and these colonies were 
part of the British Empire from the 1600s up until the end of the 18th century, more or less. And the, the citizens in these colonies became increasingly unhappy with the way they were being governed by England, and so they eventually broke off from the British Empire. That is pretty much the inception of the U.S. in a nutshell. I view this as being the beginning of American hegemony, the beginning of the American ethos, and I'm not alone in this opinion. This is an opinion that is shared by many historians and many of my fellow Americans, because the U.S. made itself famous, or at least well-known, within the world's theater for its ethos of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness which is, I would say, core to the American way of life, the American way of thinking, and something that is carried on in all of American media, basically. You find it in patriotic songs, patriotic books, patriotic movies. And while, yes, they touch on more of freedom and liberty and... American independence, and also to extent of American exceptionalism, which honestly I'm not a fan of, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the foundation of American optimism that is really quite contagious and is something that I grew up with, everyone else I know I grew up with, and is something that I carry with me throughout my daily life. Right after the U.S.'s inception, 1776, the U.S. was not complete. So it obviously didn't have the form it does have today. It was comprised of 13 colonies, or 13 states, if you will, that were all in the eastern part of the continental U.S. These are known collectively as New England because they formed the basis of the British colony. And because of this, the U.S. was rather small and not really as powerful as a lot of countries. So its influence was rather local and extended more or less to native populations, Canada and other European colonies like the French and the Spanish who were in the area. So... It should be noted that its influence was very limited due to its political size and its political influence. The U.S. did have friends, for example, the French, because the French helped the U.S. out in the Revolutionary War against uh, England. So we were very well connected to the French. There were also a lot of Germans in the American colonies, although... That actually came later and was more in the 19th century as opposed to the 18th century. If we fast forward a bit and take a look at the 19th century, we see the U.S. becoming more and more of a dominant power, more of a global power, and the U.S. taking on the role as an international authority basically so the world's police if you will to where it got involved in 
a lot of international affairs. So there was the Spanish-American War, there was the Civil War, there was the Mexican-American War, and stuff like that. This century, for many reasons, including the Industrial Revolution, laid the foundation for the U.S. to become a global power, something that would not be realized until the following century, especially after World War II. History after World War II is very complex and somewhat convoluted, so I don't want to get into the details, but there's no denying that the U.S. had a great deal of work in reshaping the world and reshaping Europe and Asia. The U.S. was directly responsible for rebuilding Germany, rebuilding parts of France, rebuilding Japan, and it had a direct hand in the Korean War because the U.S. was pitted against communism, which was represented by the Chinese and the Russians, basically. So this more or less gave the U.S. the chance to solidify itself as a global power, as a superpower, if you will, the other being, of course, Russia, but this is more or less the Cold War. And this, in my opinion, was basically the start of the modern-day hegemony, the modern hegemony of the U.S. culture, basically. English as a global language. Now, the U.S. being involved in World War II being involved in Reconstruction and having a huge part to play in all this obviously made English a very important language uh, on a global scale. However, this is not solely because of the U.S. Obviously, the British, or the English, if you will, had been colonizing the world for around 400 years at this point, more or less, maybe even more. And... Obviously, they had spread their languages, or spread their language to many parts of the world, to Asia, to the Americas, to Africa, and had colonized a lot of places, basically, and planted their variety of English in those respective countries. And the U.S. kind of, I would say, piggybacked on that, more or less, even though... American English or general American is very popular. It is by no means the only variety of English that is spoken abroad. I mean, just see how English is spoken in South Africa, how English is spoken in India, in Scotland, in Canada, and so forth. And you'll get a general idea of how different these varieties are. Nonetheless, American media is very popular abroad, especially American music, and I think this is due in part to English being such a global language and the market for it being so huge. Not that English per se is such a special language, but rather it has had a lot of good opportunities and it has made good use of these opportunities, so to speak. 
Before we go, I want to touch on the expression of the week, and that being, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And what does this expression mean? Well, I think it's fairly obvious. I'm not exactly sure where it comes from, probably from the Romans, obviously, but that doesn't matter. The expression basically means that when you are in a different city or in a different group or in a different culture, it is best to adapt to their language, adapt to their traditions and their customs so that you don't accidentally insult or offend someone. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, feel free to contact me. With that being said, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. See you next week. Bye.